Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. This is a special episode of The Savior Said. We are going to be talking about the April 2019 General Conference, um, and I'm going to be counting down my top five favorite talks. Um, I do want to say, (laughs) just a heads up, if you hear like thunder or big loud booms or whatever while I'm recording, don't worry, everything's good. I live at the edge of a giant army installation out here, we call it the arsenal, and there is an ATF like bomb school kind of thing out there, and so every now and again on a Friday, they go through and they blow up all the extra ordnance that they have like lying around, and so today is one of their big explosive days and they send out notes so we know you know Godzilla's not coming through and nothing major is under attack but I literally have like bombs going off about three miles from my backyard so if you hear that going on I'm gonna try and edit it out but if you hear it going on that is what is going on in the background at my house Um, another thing I want to address before we jump into the conference talks is an article I saw on one of my favorite, I guess they do have a podcast. I've never actually listened to their podcast. I really like their Facebook posts, though. And it's the Sisters in Zion, which if you do not follow the Sisters in Zion on Facebook or wherever, you are missing out because they are hysterical. But they are also very, very thought-provoking, and they bring a lot of truth and a lot of great testimony to the gospel. So, Sistas in Zion, that's S-I-S-T-A-S in Zion. They posted a Facebook post after General Conference, and it says, quote, Anyone else hoping to be fed by General Conference and left emptier than you were before when some talks caused pain? And they say, as conference concludes, it's common to see folks expressing their thoughts, feelings, and experiences. As a person who loves conference and finds spiritual gain in it, I admit my nosy self often clicks on the post and expresses sentiments in the vein of the example above. Now usually, what I find in that thread is a whole bunch of saints declaring that they were more edified than they had ever been by conference, using all that newfound spiritual fortification to fight to the death with the saints who said conference had drained them of all their earthly and spiritual energy, but somehow had maintained just enough to smack down on social media. I think sometimes we end up in these situations because we're answering a call that was not for us. If someone asks if anyone else left conference empty, and I experienced a feast of faith this weekend... They are not calling to me. What they asked was, would anyone else who has had this particular experience be willing to let me know that they experienced it as well? The truth is, I can't answer that query because I had a completely different experience, which is why we have these jacked up conversations. We jump into the mix because we are not responding to what is expressed. We are reaching and reacting to what was said. As I engage in discussions like this, I've realized that when I react, my focus on what I want to say about their statement. So someone comes up to you, this is Lexi talking now, not Sisters and Zion. Someone comes up to you and says, you know, I'm really struggling this past conference. I really didn't find anything in it. It, And, you know, there were even some talks that were a little painful for me. And I react, what? No, this past conference was great. It was amazing. I love this talk. And this talk was so great. I felt so edified by this. You know, I'm not answering what is at the core of their, what they're expressing. And what they're expressing is, I hurt Okay, and maybe there were some things that were said in the conference talks, or maybe they talked about eternal marriage, or maybe they talked about children, or whatever, and it hurt. It hurt me. And I, for whatever reason, didn't feel the spirit like I wanted to, and I needed that, and I didn't get it. And that's what they're saying. And so to react to that by saying, oh, well, something must be wrong with you because I had a great time at conference, right, can also, again, add that hurt onto it. What we need to do is when someone comes up to us and says, okay, so this conference talk hurt, or maybe I didn't get the edification I wanted to at a general conference, maybe it didn't quite live up to what I was hoping for, um, listen to what they're saying. 
and reach them, you know, where they're hurting and be like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry that it did cause you that hurt. And can we talk about it? And, you know, give them love instead of smacking them down, basically. So I wanted to say that to anyone out there who is listening, who is like, okay, so this conference, like it hurt. There wasn't anything that really lifted me up, you know? Okay. You know, I, I understand. I hear you. I do. Um, there were some spots in it that hurt for me, too. A lot of the times when they were talking about gospel in the home, um, that was really painful for me. And um, even President Nelson's talk talking about men being better and doing better, um, it was a little painful for me as well because I'm like, yes, I'm trying to get my man to be better and do better, but, you know, <laughs> I can only do so much. And so it can be a little bit frustrating. So I just want to say to anyone out there who struggled with general conference that I hear you and you're not alone and you have my love and I'm not ever going to battle back and say, hey, you need to believe the way I do because your views are different and your experiences are different. So I wanted to validate anyone who is struggling with general conference out there. All right. Now, all that aside, we're going to jump into my top five favorite talks from general conference, April, 2019. Now, these may be totally different from your top five talks. Maybe your top five talks are not even mentioned in my list of top five talks, but these were the top five talks that really spoke to me because of my life and stuff that I've got going through right now. And as a prelude to this top five list to tell you a little bit about stuff that's been going on, it's about been two weeks since I last recorded the last episode. And if you guys remember a couple weeks ago in one of my episodes, I mentioned like, life is really good. Life's going great. I feel really comfortable, but I've got like this overwhelming sense of anxiety that there's going to be something coming out of the sky that's going to hit me in the head. And because life is just too good right now. Like it's just too good. It's suspiciously quiet, right? Well, and since the last two weeks that I've recorded an episode, <laughs> that big old giant meteor came crashing out of the sky and hit me in the head. And, um... It's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, you see, you know, I love my job. Absolutely love my job. Um, it, I've been a middle school librarian for the past, this is my seventh year that I've been teaching there at my middle school. Now, there are two librarians at my middle school. There's me and then there's the other librarian. And the reason we are lucky enough to have two librarians is because our student population is over 1,000 students. Okay? And so because of that, we get state-allocated funding for two librarians. Well, next year, our enrollment is going to be 987 students. So because we have lost 13 kids, my position at my school is being cut. Okay, so I found out that um, I lost my position at my school. The good news is I'm tenured, and um, there were also three schools that had retiring librarians. So over the past week or so, I've met with um, my school system HR, and we sat down and talked about it, and they explained the three different schools that had openings. I said, oh, and I think this one elementary school would be a really good fit for me, and they agreed, and they are like, yes, you would be awesome there. And um, so we went ahead and we've signed a notice of transfer, and so I will be in the fall transferring to a Title I K-6 through elementary school, which will be a totally different experience for me, like totally different experience. But I believe it'll be a really good experience too, and um, I'm really excited to go serve those kids with the best of my ability, and um, I know I'm going to learn a lot. It's just, it's heartbreaking at the same time because... I'm going to be leaving my home where I have grown so much over the past seven years and I'm really going to miss those people. So then the last couple of days I told my work family, there's been lots of crying, you know, I'll be there till the end of the year. It's about, you know, four or five more weeks that I'll still be there at the school until I transfer. Um, I went and met with the principal and one of the instructional coaches at my new school and they seem really nice. And then, you know, I'm going to go out there and do some training with them and things like that. But there's just so much unknown about the situation. I struggle when there's unknown and I struggle when there's things that can make me anxious. And I'm getting to that point where all the stress and all like the sadness from leaving and knowing that I'm going to leave and, you know, things like that, that it's, it's all building up and it's, the anxiety is now turning into depression. And that, that happens a lot, I think, when we have excess anxiety that just really has nowhere to go and nowhere, no way to be resolved. Because, again, I won't start this new job and get my feet under me until probably next August. So it's kind of resulted in this depression, which means I'm not sleeping and I'm just being a crazy person. And so that is where the meteor came out of the sky and knocked me on my butt. All this was going down in my mind as I am listening to general conference. And so that's why when I talk about this, that, you know, that's where some of this perspective is coming through. 
Okay. So I wanted to get that out of the way too. All right. Finally, we're ready for the top five. Top five conference talks. So first one is Brooke P. Hale's His Talk Answers to Prayer. And so, of course, this talk stood out to me because I have been praying like a crazy person over this job situation, right? And so it was really good to listen to some of these things and realize some of the ways that my Father in Heaven has been preparing me for this change that's going to occur in my job. And so we start off with Brooke P. Hales. We start off with him saying, this is a quote from his talk, One aspect of that perfect love of our Heavenly Father is his involvement in the details of our lives, even when we may not be aware of it or understand it. We seek the Father's divine guidance and help through heartfelt, earnest prayers. When we honor our covenants and strive to be more like our Savior, we are entitled to a constant stream of divine guidance through the influence and inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The scriptures teach us, For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. And he knoweth all things, for all things are present before his eyes. And I think I have actually seen that over this past year. There's been a couple of clues that this was coming. Everything from, I think, you know, my calling as primary presidency last summer. And I really enjoyed getting to know my little primary children and interacting with them. And I thought, oh, you know, how fun would this be to to interact with kids this age level all week long? You know, it's like an elementary school librarian. That would be really cool. Okay, so that little thought planted its seed in in my mind. Also, there was some other times this year that I was like, oh, you know, I remember back when I was a public librarian and I got to do story time. I got to read all these awesome picture books and I really missed that. I'm like, oh, I bet being an elementary school librarian would be really cool because I get to go read all those picture books again like that. I miss, I miss all that. And every time I kind of started thinking in that mode, I was like, Lexi, no. You don't want to go to elementary school. That's where, like, they barf on you and they pee in their pants, and you don't want to go there. And so I'd kind of roll myself back in. (laughs) And so, but now I'm going there (laughs) where they barf on themselves and pee in their pants. So I'm really hoping that that doesn't happen. But I'm still going to elementary school. And I think the Father helped prepare me for that with, like, those little hints kind of over the year of, like, hey, this is coming. Hey, this is coming. And even, you know, a couple months ago when I was like, things are too good. Things are too good. I am too stable. Like, (laughs) there's some shakeup coming. I think was still Him preparing me with, like, the subtle whisperings of the Spirit of, like, hey, so something is coming. Like, you just need to get your heart ready. You need to get your mind ready for it and kind of just be ready for it. And so I think that that's really... um, how he kind of prepared me. And that's how he knew what I needed before I even asked him. He knew I needed that preparation and that kind of confirmation of when it happened, of knowing what was going to happen next and knowing that he's got this. It's in his hands. But continuing on with our conference talk. Okay, the Father is aware of us. He knows our needs and will help us perfectly. Sometimes that help is given in the very moment or at least as soon as we ask for divine help. Sometimes our most earnest and worthy desires are not answered in the way we hope, but we find that God has greater blessings in store. And so at first my prayer was, you know, Heavenly Father, please let us find a way to save my job at my middle school. Let let somehow this work out where I get to stay. And I don't think that was my Heavenly Father's answer to my prayers. I think the answer is I need to go to this other school. And then I'm like, but Heavenly Father, it's going to be hard. And Heavenly Father, it's new people. And new people freak me out. And Heavenly Father, it's kids. And they barf on themselves. And they pee in their pants. And um, it's going to be for my learning and good once I can get over the whining phase. <laughs> I know it will be. But my Heavenly Father knows what I need. Um, and in this case... The answer to that prayer of staying at my middle school was not answered, and so the answer to my prayer is going to this elementary school. Okay, so back to the conference talk. In his talk, Elder Hales, he gives three examples of ways that prayers are answered. Um, And the first one is the story about his son. He's serving as a missionary in the France-Paris mission, and they buy him a coat, and the kid just packs it up, and he goes off, and he's in the middle of the winter there in France, and it's really cold and windy and just yucky out there in France during the winter, and he tries the coat on, and he realizes that the coat is too small. They're like, well, okay, whatever. So they put more money into his account. He was able to go buy a coat, and he was fine. Told him to give the coat to somebody there who needed it. Then there was a missionary in his apartment that he gave the coat to, and it fit him perfectly. And the missionary said he had been praying for a way to get a better coat. He said, this missionary is a convert of several years, and he only has his mom, and the missionary was baptized him, is supporting him on his mission. So the coat was the answer to prayer. 
and his son felt very happy about that. And so I see a lot of times that that's the way that the Lord answers our prayers is through a series of coincidences. All of a sudden, you know, the dominoes fall into place and something that we need kind of turns up, which is a beautiful way for that prayer to be answered. The Savior taught, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not ye not therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. And we are of value to our Father. He is aware of even the very hairs of our head, which... Heavenly Father, I'm very sorry for that because I lose hair all the time and everywhere. So that number is constantly changing. He's aware of that and he knows that and we are worth him way more than, you know, just a sparrow. So um, that's a beautiful testimony. Another story that Elder Hales talks about, um, he says, In other situations when our worthy desires are not granted in the way we had hoped, it may actually be for our benefit. And he gives the example of Joseph in Egypt. You know, even though he was sold away into slavery in Egypt, you know, he was put in a position that then he was able to turn around and save his family, where he might not have been able to do that if he had still been with his brothers, you know, back there. So that's kind of where I'm hoping that my journey is being led, is that this prayer was not answered in the way I wanted, but I'm hoping that it will be for my ultimate benefit to go to another school and to learn different skills. And so I'm trusting God that it was, that it's going to be that way. Now in his third story, he talks about his son and getting a job and they thought he would get the perfect job, but then he didn't. But then he found another job and it has proved to be to his eternal benefit and a blessing. God knows the end from the beginning as he always does. And in this case, the answer to many righteous prayers was no. And that is in favor of a far superior outcome. And so that is what I am hoping for. I want to end my coverage of Answers to Prayer by Elder Brooke P. Hales. This quote here, he's got quotes from King Benjamin and President Henry B. Eyring. The Father is at this moment aware of you, your feelings, and the spiritual and temporal needs of everyone around you. Brothers and sisters, sometimes our prayers are not answered quickly with the outcome we hope for. Sometimes our prayers are not answered in the way we hope for, yet with time we learn that God has greater blessings prepared for us than we initially anticipated. And sometimes our righteous petitions to God will not be granted in this life. As Neil A. Maxwell said, faith also includes trust in God's timing. We have the assurance that in his own way and in his own time, Heavenly Father will bless us, resolve all our concerns, injustices, and disappointments. To quote King Benjamin, and moreover, I would desire that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, and thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. And that is King Benjamin's quote. And so I really love that talk because it helped me put things into perspective. The loss of what I thought was this great family that I've come to know and love over the years at my job, um, that maybe that there's a better and bigger blessing out there waiting for me. So that was my experience with that particular talk. Number four, we have M. Russell Ballard, The True, Pure, and Simple Gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason I love this talk so much is it talks about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and stripping away all like the frou-frou nonsense that sometimes we, we put on it, some all the Pinterest stuff, all the you know extra stuff that we just don't need and kind of cracking away at that and getting at the pure essence of the gospel, which is really what we need to focus on. He starts off by saying, the prophet Lehi taught men and women are that they might have joy. There are many reasons why peace, joy, and happiness may elude us in this life, including poverty, war, natural disasters, unexpected setbacks in employment, health, and family relationships. But even though we cannot control those external forces that impact our lives here on earth, as we strive to become faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can find peace, joy, and happiness despite the worldly troubles that swirl around us. Well, finding peace, joy, and happiness sounds really good to me, guys. I don't know about you, but it sounds good to me. He then goes on to talk about having a conversation with his son where his said, Dad, I wonder if I'm ever going to be able to make it. Like, I just don't know how I'm going to be as good as Heavenly Father wants me to be. And he says, all Heavenly Father asks of us is to do our very best each day. And Russell Ballard says, brothers and sisters, do the best you can day after day, and before you know it, you will come to realize that your Heavenly Father knows you and that He loves you. And when you know that, when you really know it, your life will have real purpose and meaning, and you will be filled with joy and peace. 
And so that is what I am looking for, is joy and peace, right? Jesus Christ is the name which is given of the Father, and there is none other name whereby we can be saved. Wherefore all men, and women, must take upon them the name which is given of the Father, and that is Jesus Christ, right? Um, the scriptures teach us that Satan desires to lead people into darkness and misery and all that endless woe. It's bad stuff. And so then M. Russell Ballard tells us, this is why our quest, our quest here in life, is to bask in the light of Christ. And I love that image of basking in the light of Christ. I think of like my sister growing up. She has this little gecko, a little gecko lizard that she had in a cage in her room. Um, and she had this little light that was on top of his cage. And he would go and he'd sit on this rock and he'd just bask in that light. And you could tell he was just having a great time. Just loved his little light. And so I think that maybe that is how we should, you know, treat the gospel of Jesus Christ as our little light, our little basking light that we go and kind of sit under. And it warms us and it brings us peace, joy, and happiness. And the way we can find the purest light to bask under is by simplifying the gospel as much as we can. And Russell Ballard says, Joseph F. Smith said, The true, pure, simple gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored. We are responsible for maintaining it upon the earth. He added that the true, pure, simple gospel is the saving doctrines of Jesus Christ. So when we take away all the extra meetings, all the extra stuff, and we focus on what is true and pure about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's when our little basking light becomes stronger and we're able to kind of stand underneath it, right? He gives us some examples of how that is possible. Elder Ballard says, The best ways for us to see the spiritual purposes of the church are to live the true, pure, and simple teachings of Christ and also to apply the Savior's two great commandments. Number one, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And number two, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Obedience to these two commandments provides a way to experience more peace and joy. When we love and serve the Lord and love and serve our neighbors, we will naturally feel more happiness that comes to us in no other way. Loving God and loving our neighbors is the doctrinal foundation of ministering, home-centered, and church-supported learning. Sabbath day spiritual worship and the work of salvation on both sides of the veil supported in Relief Society and Elders Quorums. All of those things are based on the divine commandments to love God and to love our neighbors. Can there be anything more basic, more fundamental, and more simple than that? So, at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ, love God and love your neighbor. Like, those are the two things that we need to be worried about. And so, anything else? Does this thing that we're doing, does it, you know, fall underneath the loving God or loving your neighbor part of the gospel? Then no, it's not necessary, right? Keep it simple. Speaking of the Sabbath, the Savior said, For verily, this is the day appointed unto you to rest from your labors and to pay thy devotions unto the Most High. He added that thy joy may be full. Through rejoicing and prayer, you should do these things with thanksgiving and with a glad heart and cheerful countenance. Please note some of the key words in this revelation were joy, rejoicing, thanksgiving, cheerful hearts, glad heart, and a cheerful countenance. It sounds to me like Sabbath day observance should bring a smile to our faces. And that was another theme I saw a lot, and we're going to talk about another talk in just a minute. There were lots of talks this conference that were all about the Sabbath day and keeping the Sabbath day holy and making it the best day of the week. I think that's really important, and I think it was a really interesting kind of emphasis that they placed upon the Sabbath day. So that's something I know I personally came away from conference saying, okay, I need to do a better job of really reining myself in. And I think I've done a better job, actually, over the past year or so. I've really kind of changed my Sabbath day and tried to make it more focused on Christ, but I need to do an even better job of reining myself in and really, really focusing on my Savior and really studying heavily on the Sabbath day. And then my favorite part of his talk. It's pretty much what I've been saying all along. Let's not complicate things with additional meetings, expectations, or requirements. Keep it simple. It is in that simplicity that you will find the peace, the joy, and the happiness I have been talking about. Let's please not complicate things with additional meetings. Please no. Um, expectations or requirements. Just keep it simple. And I think that is going to be my goal probably for this next year until the next conference is just keep it simple. I think that that's, that's important for us. We tend to like to overdo things. So I know I'm going to have to dial stuff back. Okay, up next we have number three on my list of top five favorite conference talks from April 2019. And this one is Dieter F. Uchtdorf, because, you know, I love some Uchtdorf. you got to have Uchtdorf in there. And so this is his talk, Missionary Work, Sharing What is in Your Heart. And I loved this talk because I struggle a lot with missionary work, and I think it's because I don't want people to think I'm weird. 
<laughs> and um, I don't want to be like, hey guys, check out this church I belong to, and then be like, huh, there's weird stuff with that. So I really like this talk because it gave us some guilt-free ways to share the gospel. So he starts out and he says, In the last 200 years, the members of the restored Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, have experienced persecution in many forms. But in spite of that persecution, and sometimes because of it, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has continued to grow as it is now found all across the globe. However, before we bake a cake, throw confetti, and congratulate ourselves on this remarkable success, we would do well to put that growth into perspective. There are roughly 7.5 billion people in the world compared to the 16 million members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That makes us a very small flock indeed. I love that he goes in and talks about missionary work like we don't have to go shouting out, Hey guys, I'm a member of this church. Or, Hey guys, you know about Jesus. And he says that there's lots of ways that we can do it subtly. Okay, we want to share the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone we meet. But, you know, maybe we're not super gifted missionaries. And he talks about how sometimes there will be talks in church that people give on missionary works. And he says, when missionary work is discussed in church meetings, heads are slowly lowered until submerged behind the pew. <laughs> and I could just see that people like lowering the heads till you know, they're, they're just hidden behind the church pews. Eyes will be focused on the scriptures or closed in deep meditation to avoid eye contact with other members. Why is this? Maybe we feel guilty for not doing more to share the gospel. Perhaps we feel uncertain about how to do it, or we might feel timid about going outside our comfort zone. I understand this. But remember, the Lord has never required expert, flawless missionary efforts. Instead, the Lord requires the heart and a willing mind. All right, so here are his five guilt-free tips for spreading the gospel. I love it. It sounds like five guilt-free ways to indulge in chocolate without gaining any weight, right? Okay, so five guilt-free ways to spread the gospel. First one is to draw close to God. And so he says as we draw close to God that his light and his joy will shine from us and people will notice that there's something different about us and then they will ask about, you know, how are you so happy? Why are you so happy? Why are you this way? And that's something I actually I've noticed growing up is that people react to me and I don't, I've never had anyone actually come out and ask like, hey, why are you so happy all the time? But they'll react to me in ways that I know that I'm different. If that makes sense? I don't know. Like, they'll say maybe a curse word, and then they'll apologize for it immediately. Be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that around you. And I'm like, I'm just a person, guy. Like, I don't want you to curse in front of me, but, I mean, it, it's okay. But, and they're like, oh, oh I just, I don't want to curse around you, you know? And I think that they can feel that there's something different there. And so just let that light continue to radiate and show, right? Um, second, fill your heart with love for others. And again, this goes back to that second commandment that M. Russell Ballard was talking about, right? We're seeing that a lot um, in conference. Lots of an under-occurring theme that I'm seeing in lots of the talks is loving others and serving others and ministering to others. So I think it's time to start doing that, y'all. Do you think so? <laughs> I definitely think so. Um, try to truly see everyone around you as a child of God, ministering to them. Laugh with them, rejoice with them, weep with them, respect them, heal, lift, and strengthen them. And I think this even goes back to what, you know, I was talking about at the beginning with the Sisters in Zion, their post about General Conference. Really listen to people. Are we listening to people to understand them? Or are we listening to them to respond to them? You know, am I trying to place what I think on top of them or am I listening to what they're saying and really trying to understand them and treat them the way that the Savior would? And so that's something that I need to work on, I know. And when you strive to emulate the love of Christ and have compassion for others, even to those who are unkind to you, who mock you and wish to cause you harm, love them and treat them as a fellow children of Heavenly Father, is what President Uchtdorf says. Third, strive to walk the path of discipleship. As your love for God and his children deepens, so does your commitment to following Jesus Christ. And so he says, learn about him. Feast upon his scriptures. Heed and apply the teachings of the modern prophets and apostles in your life and grow in confidence as you follow his way and communicate with Heavenly Father with a teachable and humble heart. You know, that's actually one of the things that I have found that Come Follow Me has done for me is increase my confidence in my knowledge of the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, because I'll see a scripture and be like, oh yeah, I remember reading that in, in this lesson in Come Follow Me and I know exactly where that is in the New Testament and I can quote it and um, it's helped me gain a 
more confidence and a deeper knowledge and love of the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament. And I know that that will continue on as we go to the other books in the various scriptures, right? The important thing he says is that you don't give up with this applying it in your life, right? You try to keep getting it right. You'll eventually become better, happier, and more authentic. Talking with others about your faith will become normal and natural. In fact, the gospel will be such an essential, precious part of your lives that it would feel unnatural not to talk about it with others. That may not happen immediately. It is a lifelong effort, but it will happen. And that leads into his fourth guilt-free tip, which is fourth, share what is in your heart. He's saying, I'm not asking you to stand on a street corner with a megaphone and shout out Book of Mormon verses. I'm asking for you to look for opportunities to bring up your faith in natural, normal ways with people, both in person as well as online. And this actually reminds me of a um, conversation that I had with two friends a little while ago. Um, And we were just having like lunch together and they're not members of my church. We were talking about books because, you know, I, I love to read. And so we were, you know, always talking about books. And they mentioned a book that has come out recently. And it's about a girl who she grew up in a fundamentalist Mormon family. And, I mean, there was some serious abuse and things like that. And she broke away from it and became really smart and really educated and got several degrees. And, you know, it's all about her triumph of getting away from her fundamentalist Mormon family. And so they started asking me questions about, like, do the Mormons really believe this? And do they really believe that? And I'm like, no, that was such a messed up version of, you know, what I believe. And it really made me sad when I read the book. I was actually really uncomfortable with it because I'm like, this is such a twisted version of what I believe. Um, there's lots of stuff in it that it strays away from like the pure and simple gospel of Jesus Christ, like M. Russell Ballard was talking about. And so I worry that people are going to think like, hey, we're this weird version of pure and simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that stops me a lot of times, I think, about talking about my religion. And so when I was talking to them about it, I was very aware that I was very uncomfortable. And I was like, I really need to work on this. I need to become more comfortable talking about, yeah, we believe that we have modern prophets and apostles. And yeah, we believe in modern revelation and um, things like that. So I need to work on that. That was definitely one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I need to share what is in my heart. And I need to become more comfortable sharing what is in my heart. And he does talk about sharing what's in your heart on social media. And I feel like I do a fairly good job of that. One of my favorite things to do on social media is to go, you can make little quotes with different online graphic design tools. There's a website I really like to use called Canva. It's like Canvas, but without the S, it's canva.com. Um, it's got like little like graphics where you can make social media graphics and, you know, throw up a quote by a general authority in there and, you know, just put the quote citation as like, you know, dash Russell M. Nelson or whatever. And you put that quote in there and then you throw it up on your Facebook and you'll be surprised how many people are liking it and commenting on it. And it's really pretty amazing. I recently posted a quote by David B. Haight actually on my Facebook. And, you know, after seeing all the little likes and stuff that popped up on it, I went back in and I actually counted how many of those people that liked that quote were non-members of my church. And there were actually more non-members who liked that quote than people who were members of my church. And I was like, how cool is that? And then one of my friends, who is the pastor of a local congregation, was like, hey, can I use that in my talk this week for my church? And I'm like, yes, you can totally quote a general authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your congregational sermon this next week. Yes, go for it. And so, um, I mean, I think that's a really good way to share light and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. A really easy guilt-free way, right? That's what we're looking for here. And so in that way, that sharing missionary work and sharing light like that comes very naturally and very easily to me. Um, It's, I think, when we tend to get things that maybe people think is weird, I tend to get like a little bit tenser and have a little bit harder time. But this is where I need to change because fifth in the guilt-free tips is trust the Lord to work his miracles. And that's what I need to do is realize that I'm not the one doing the converting. The Lord is doing the converting. Um, I'm just there to share what is in my heart and to live consistently with my beliefs. And so that's what I need to do. But I really loved his talk because it made me feel less guilty about not being like out in the street corners, like I'm Mormon with jazz hands. Right. Um, instead it gave like lots of ways to like just subtly and kind of slowly show your love of Jesus Christ. And I think in the long run, that's actually what's going to bring people to the church rather than people being like, Hey, come learn about this amazing stuff. Like it just the slow and steady example instead, I think will bring more people to the church. And so that's what I think 
I'm going to try and do. I think we live in a society, in a world where there's so many messages kind of being shouted in our face all the time through advertising and, you know, people trying to get us to buy stuff and people trying to push stuff on us all the time. It's just by living that example, I think that's going to bring people to the church. And so I loved President Uchtdorf's talk because of that. It helped me feel better, number one, about my missionary efforts. And number two, gave me a little bit more focus on how to concentrate those missionary efforts. Number two, and you guys know I already love this talk because I've already posted some of it on my The Savior Said Facebook page. It is Jeffrey R. Holland's Behold the Lamb of God. And y'all know, I have a special place in my heart for Jeffrey R. Holland. Like, I'm making the little heart hands right now (laughs) where you, like, make your hands into a little heart shape. Because Jeffrey R. Holland is just my favorite. I love Jeffrey R. Holland. Okay, so behold the Lamb of God. Let's talk about that. All right, so we start out with the baptism of the Savior. um, And he's kind of setting up this stage for us. And we talked about this in episode five, these scriptures that he's kind of quoting from. But um, he says he's looking up from the water's edge. Past the eager crowd, seeking baptism at his hand, John, called the Baptist, saw in the distance his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, striding resolutely toward him to make a request for that same ordinance. Reverently, but audible enough for those nearby to hear, John uttered the admiration that still moves us two millennia later, Behold the Lamb of God. It is instructive that this long-prophesied forerunner to Jesus did not call him Jehovah, or Savior, or Redeemer, or even the Son of God, all of which were applicable titles. No, John chose the earliest and perhaps most commonly recognized image in the religious tradition of his people. He used the figure of a sacrificial lamb offered in atonement for the sins and sorrows of a fallen world and all the fallen people in it. And then Jeffrey R. Holland goes in to talk about the history of the sacrificial lamb and how it used to be a sacrifice for sins. You know, like maybe if you committed a sin, you would go and you would find a perfect lamb, a firstling of the flock without blemish, and you would go shed its blood in the temple in place of your own sin, right? And obviously, sometimes it didn't take. (laughs) Because there were still people sinning and having issues. And it even talks about Cain and Abel. I mean, they were fresh out of the Garden of Eden. They were one generation removed from the Garden of Eden. And um, Cain was still bad news. So Jeffrey R. Holland says, Unfortunately, as a symbol of genuine repentance and faithful living, this ritualistic offering of unblemished little lambs didn't work very well, as so much of the Old Testament reveals. The moral resolve that should have accompanied those sacrifices sometimes didn't last long enough for the blood to dry upon the stones. In any case, it wasn't long enough to preclude fratricide, with Cain killing his brother Abel in the first generation. No wonder the angels of heaven sang for joy when Christ was born. Okay, the long-promised Messiah himself, the Lamb of God, right? To the Nephites, after he was resurrected, the Savior said, You shall offer up unto me no more shedding of blood, so no more sacrificial lambs. Instead, you offer up to me a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Therefore, repent and be saved. And so when do we come to Christ and offer him that broken heart and contrite spirit? When do we come to him and ask, you know, please take me back? And it's every week during the sacrament. And so then he goes on to talk about our sacrament meetings and He said, with the new emphasis on the home-centered learning, which is so exciting, we need to place more emphasis on the sacrament on Sundays when we come and the importance of coming to church to take the sacrament. He's talking about how we cut back some of those meetings so that the sacrament then could come front and center of our meetings on Sunday. And y'all know how much I love the sacrament and how powerful I think it is in our lives. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, making sure you're in your Sunday best, whatever that means to you, you know, making sure that you have appropriately groomed and attired yourself. Punctuality. I love this quote so much because it shows so much of the Savior's love. He says, as for punctuality, a late pass will always be lovingly granted to those blessed mothers who, with children in Cheerios and diaper bags trailing in marvelous disarray, are lucky to have made it to church at all. Yes, please come. We would rather have you come to church late than not at all, right? Furthermore, there will be others who unavoidably find their ox in the mire on the Sabbath morning. However, to this latter group, we say occasional tardiness is understandable. But if the ox is in the mire every Sunday, we strongly recommend that you sell the ox or fill the mire. And I think after he said that, the market might have been flooded with oxen because people were getting rid of them and like, okay, he was talking to me. I need to be better about getting to my church meetings on time. 
Um, and then he said in the same spirit that they make an apostolic plea, which is always like kind of like a big deal, I think, for the reduction of clamor in the sanctuary of our buildings. And he says, you know, we love to visit with each other. We love the social aspect of church, but it should not be pursued in so vocally a space as where we're going to be partaking of the sacrament, that the spirit needs to be there and not noisy irreverence, right? Um, he gives some instructions on where the presiding officers are to stand before the meeting and or sit on the stand before the meeting. And then again, in his Jeffrey R. Holland-esque way, um, where he kind of injects some humor into things, he says, We congratulate those bishoprics who are eliminating announcements that detract from the spirit of our worship. I, for one, cannot imagine a priest such as Zacharias there in the ancient temple of the Lord, about to participate in the one and only priestly privilege that would come to him in his entire lifetime, I just cannot picture him pausing before the altar to remind us that the Pinewood Derby is just six weeks away and registration will soon be due. <laughs> oh, I love Jeffrey R. Holland for stuff like that, but it's true. You know, take away the stuff that doesn't matter and cut it out. You know, let's just focus on Christ. This hour is ordained of the Lord and it's supposed to be the most sacred hour of our week. And focusing on that, everything else that we're doing around it, you know, Sunday school, primary, Relief Society, it all leads up to this one hour. So make sure that we are placing the importance upon that one hour. And it is in the memory of him who asked if the cup he was about to drink could pass, only to press on because he knew that for our sake it could not pass. Beautiful Jeffrey R. Holland right there. And so remembering that symbol is now making its way down our row at the hand of an 11 or 12-year-old. Beautiful. Okay. And then something else I really liked here. He says, when that sacred hour comes to prevent our sacrificial gift to the Lord, the broken heart and contrite spirit, we do have our own sins and shortcomings to resolve. That's why we're there. But it might be more successful in such contrition if we are mindful of the other broken hearts and sorrowing spirits that surround us. Seated not far away are those who have wept, outwardly or inwardly, through the entire sacramental hymn and the prayers of the priests. Might we silently take note of this and offer our little crust of comfort and our tiny cup of compassion? Might we dedicate it to them or to the weeping, struggling member who is not in the service and except for some redemptive ministering in our part won't be there next week either? Or to our brothers and sisters who are not members of the church at all but still are our brothers and sisters? There is no shortage of suffering in this world inside of the church or out. So look in any direction and you will find someone whose pain always seems too heavy to bear and whose heartache seems never to end. One way to always remember him would be to join the great physician in his never-ending task of lifting the load from those who are burdened and relieving the pain of those who are distraught. And this is something that's going to change the way I take the sacrament, I've decided. Because, you know, I always think, of first of all, like, oh, what are all the things that I've got going on that I need to be better about? And how can I come closer to my Heavenly Father? And I focus, you know, on myself for those first little moments. But then, you know, I'm listening to the music that's playing, or, you know, I'm reading hymns, or I'm reading scriptures. And I'm maybe instead, of, at, that mo at that moment, instead of reading scriptures, or or hymns or whatever, I need to be praying for those that I see that are struggling or people that I know that are struggling and um, who need that comfort and who need that that lift. And so I think that's what I'm starting doing is once I'm done focusing on my little sacrifice that I'm bringing to the sacrament, um, focusing on those that I can ask for the Lord's help with. Again, I just love some Jeffrey R. Holland. So that was his talk, Behold the Lamb of God. All right, so now time has come for my number one most favorite talk of April 2019 General Conference. Are you guys ready for this? Are you ready for this? Okay, here we go. It is Kyle S. McKay, The Immediate Goodness of God. I love this talk so much. Um, I will also tell you, yeah, I'm going to do some quotes and stuff out of it because, you know, I got it. It's, it's good stuff. It's podcast stuff. But if you have not listened to him present this talk, you need to. He is such a good speaker. Um, and I think that may be why this talk was one of my favorites, because he was so dynamic up there, and the way he talked, it wasn't just monotone. Like, I mean, anyone who was napping during, you know, this, this session of conference woke up when he started talking, because he did such a good job. So I definitely recommend that you go download it and listen to it, as well as read it, okay? Because it's just really, really good. I love the story that he starts out with. It's with his little son saying, Several years ago, our five-year-old son came to me and announced, Dad, I figured something out. I figured out that soon for you is a very long time for me. 
And I think about that a lot because I feel like sometimes I'm like, Heavenly Father, I feel like you say, you know, you're, you're going to be okay soon. And I feel like soon to you is a very long time for me. And so going back to the example of this job change that I've got coming up, you know, soon there's going to be a blessing in my life. And this blessing is going to be working with these little elementary school kids. But that's like months away. And I, in the meantime, I kind of have to live with this like in-betweeny land where I know I'm going to be leaving my middle school kids. And I know I'm going to be going to this elementary school, but I'm still in-betweeny and I, you know, I just want to get going. I just want to, okay, so I know I'm not going to be here next year. I kind of just want to drop out and just go to my elementary school and get started. But instead, I have to wait in between these two major big changes in my life. And I'm really struggling with that. And so this talk was really good for me for that because, you know, there's a quote out there that says, sometimes when one door closes, another door opens, but it can be awful in the hallway. And I feel like I'm in that hallway. And so this talk really spoke to me. And I think it speaks to anyone who has ever been stuck in one of those hallways between two blessings, right? Where you're waiting for that other door to be open to you. And he says, the Lord or his servant say things like, not many days hence, or the time is not far distant. And it can literally mean a lifetime or longer. His time frequently, his timing is different from ours. Patience is key. Without it, we can neither develop nor demonstrate faith in God unto life and salvation. But my message today here is that even while we are patiently waiting upon the Lord, there are certain blessings that come to us immediately. There are certain blessings in that hallway, y'all, if we can just pay attention to them. And he talks about one of my favorite stories when I talk about you know, waiting on the Lord. This is one of my favorite stories that I quote whenever I'm teaching a lesson on it. And it's Alman is people being captured by the Lamanites and they're enslaved by the Lamanites and he couldn't let them immediately go, right? The Lord didn't let them immediately go, but he did have some immediate blessings. They were not immediately delivered, but while they patiently waited for deliverance, the Lord showed forth his goodness with certain immediate blessings. He immediately softened the hearts of the Lamanites so they would not slay them. He also strengthened Alma's people to ease their burdens, and when they were finally delivered, they traveled to Zarahemla, where they recounted their experience to the amazed audience. The people of Zarahemla marveled when they thought of the immediate goodness of God and his power in delivering Alma and his brethren out of bondage. Therefore, they did raise their voices and give thanks to God. And so I started thinking, I'm like, what are what is some of the immediate goodness of God here in my waiting period? And I was like, well, number one, I still have a job. Number two, I got to pick where I wanted to go. I had my pick of several schools that I could pick from, and I got to pick the one that I wanted to go to. And so I know where I'm going. Number three, I know the librarian that's currently there that's retiring. She and I have been in communication. She's telling me stuff about the school that I need to know. I'm going to go out. I'm going to be able to work with her for a couple of days before the school year ends and get to know the kids. And, you know, that's a huge blessing, too, because there won't be so many unknowns to freak me out over the summer, right? And so then going back to Elder McKay, The immediate goodness of God comes to all who call upon him with real intent and full purpose of heart. This includes those who cry out in earnest desperation when deliverance seems so distant and suffering seems so prolonged, even intensified. And I know my example is just a small couple months time. And I know in the grand scheme of things, there are people out there that have it a lot worse. And there have been even times in my life where I've had it a lot worse. It's just the most immediate and forefront thing in my mind right now. So that's what I'm applying it to. But I mean, there's definitely, it talks about Joseph Smith being in the dark dungeon there of Liberty Jail, where he's saying, Oh God, where where art thou? How long shall thy hand be stayed? Yea, O Lord, how long? So even Joseph Smith, who had seen Heavenly Father in Christ and who knew so much about them, said, how long? Heavenly Father, like, how long? Come on, I I don't know how long I can stand this, right? And the Lord did not immediately deliver Joseph, but he did immediately pronounce peace. And that's, again, finding that peace and joy in Christ. Even during times of uncertainty, I think that's the message that came from conference for me. God also gives us immediate hope for eventual deliverance. No matter what, no matter where, in Christ and through Christ, there is always hope smiling brightly before us, immediately before us. He has promised, my kindness shall not depart from thee. Above all, God's love is immediate. With Paul, I testify that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. 
even our sins, that they may separate us from his spirit for a time, cannot separate us from the constancy and immediacy of his divine paternal love. And I love that too, because it doesn't just talk about our situations physically or stuff that we're going through, you know, emotionally, physically, but it also talks about spiritually, you know, um, sinning brings us farther away from, from God and our sins may separate us from his spirit for a time, but they can't separate us from the immediacy of his love. And of course the atonement brings us back together with him. And then he gave some really beautiful testimony, a story of a young woman named Emily who struggled with substance abuse and her going through a really dark time, but still finding the beautiful goodness of God in her life and the healing and the ultimate deliverance that he gave her as she went through her struggles and how he was with her the entire time. And I think too, like I struggled a lot before I got married being single, like, you know, and I was single for several years and I felt like I was really old. Um, and single, and it was really hard waiting on the Lord, but I saw his hand, and I saw how he worked with me, and he upheld me through that, and I've seen also in other times where, you know, even going through illnesses and, you know, different things, I've seen how the Lord holds me up and holds me in the palm of his hand, and I have no reason not to think that he will continue to do so, and his good immediately be there, and it's beautiful reading these different, um, stories that Elder McKay shares. The second one is about Alicia and her husband, Mario, um, and their child was killed in a snowmobiling accident, even though it's hard and they still miss their son every single day. And whenever Elder McKay speaks with her, Alicia's eyes well up with tears and she tells how much she loves and misses her little boy. Her eyes remain moist as she tells how the great deliverer has sustained her through every bit of her ordeal, beginning with his immediate goodness during her deepest despair, and continuing now with the bright hope of a sweet reunion that is not many days hence. I just love that because it's in his promises that he can sustain us and uphold us, and so holding on to those promises helps us come closer to him. And Elder McKay says, I realize that sometimes life's experiences create confusion and turbulence that can make it difficult to receive or recognize or attain the kind of relief that came to Emily and Alicia. I have been through such times. I testify that during such times, our mere preservation is a tender and powerful manifestation of the immediate goodness of our God. Remember, ancient Israel was ultimately delivered by that same God who had preserved them day to day. Remember, ancient Israel was in trouble for about 40 years. That's a long time to be in trouble. So, you know, when I think, oh my gosh, I cannot even wait like five months. No, that's really not that long. It'll be okay. At least it's not 40 years. Okay. I love this talk because, and he even says, as he closes, he says, to give you comfort, courage, and hope, to sustain and strengthen you the day of ultimate deliverance, I commend to you and testify of the immediate goodness of God. And so we can find comfort, courage, and hope, sustenance, and strength through the immediate goodness of God. And that is a talk that I'm going to have to read over and over and over again, I think, throughout my life because that's something I struggle with. So I absolutely love that talk. Thank you for hanging out with me this episode, this bonus content episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear what some of your favorite conference talks were, what some of your conference experiences were. Go ahead. You can reach out to me on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Savior said, or email me at the Savior said at gmail.com. Y'all have a great week. We will be back on Come Follow Me schedule next episode. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.